This is episode number 39 with Shwetank Ferma, co-founder and general partner of Leo Capital. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia, with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new episode. Today is a beautiful day. The sun is shining, at least here in Bali. Uh, I hope the same is for India. Uh, but I'm excited to have uh, Shwetank Verma in the building and on my screen. Uh, we got connected through LinkedIn and we were chatting about, uh, about his journey. And uh, we we're like, let's, uh, let's arrange this podcast because I think there's a very interesting story to tell and a lot of things that we can learn from Shwetank. Uh, few highlights uh, from Shwetank, started your career at PwC in 2004, which actually is the same year that I started at Deloitte. Uh, and then after that, you were, uh, well, there's a lot of different highlights, but a few things I want to I wanna really uh, discuss, and I think it's really interesting to talk about later. A founder of My Healthmate, which was acquired by uh, Ambicare Clinics. Always a nice story from founder to investor. I think that is the, 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 the right path to become an investor. You've done several advisor roles, but you're also InsureTech advisor for Plug and Play Tech Center. Uh, you're the co-founder of the India InsureTech Association. And since 2018, you are the co-founder and general partner of Leo Capital. Now, Leo Capital is an early stage cross-sector VC, uh, mainly focused on, on India and India-based global SaaS companies and Southeast Asia. So that's a mouthful. Shwetank, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Andrew, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be speaking with you. And it's a glorious day here in Bangalore as well. So there you go. May the sun keep shining. <laughs> May the sun keep shining. I, I like that a lot. Hey, Shwetank, uh, we were talking about it a bit before, right? Uh, starting your career at Big Four uh, in a consulting division, uh, and then now being a GP of a fund, uh, it's, always, it's always easy to look backwards, right? Where you say like, oh, yeah, my, my career... Was was meant to be like this. Uh, but what's kind of been what has kind of been your path? You know, starting starting with the big four and then uh, moving towards founding and having different roles that you uh, that you've uh, that you've experienced. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's easy to look back and say this was the path, but uh, it certainly didn't look like that going up. <laughs> uh, so take a step back from even the big four. I I built a small business while at university. So I. I, I Few friends and I got together and we built a small services business, uh, but it was it was doing okay and we managed to sell it and we made a little bit of cash. And I remember having sort of done this and thinking like I'm, you know, the bee's knees. I I I know exactly what I'm doing. I you know managed to sell a business. It was a small sale. It was I think we netted about four hundred thousand pounds each. Something like oh, that's that. That's not right? bad, man. That's well, not bad at all. It's not bad. Yes, as a, as a 21 year old, it felt like a lot of cash. But in the grand scheme of things, it's uh, it's you know it's not it's not the retirement kind of money, right? So, yeah. so uh, uh, you know, my uh, a good friend and a, and a mentor of mine at that point basically said, "Look, uh, you you clearly shown that you have the initiative to set something up and build something." what you might help from is a bit of structure in your thinking. Mm. And he's an accountant. So he said the most, most, the best advice I can give you is become an accountant because it gives you structure mm. and allows your, your, your ambition and your, your energy to be channelized, um, wow. which all sounded like really good words back then. And 
<laughs> you know, it's like I, I was always sort of, I always looked up to him. He's, a, he's, he's like an older brother to me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, okay, if he's done this, it's clearly something worth, uh, worth giving some thought to. So I rocked up to the Pricewaterhouse recruiting. I rocked up to all of the big four recruiting events at the university, actually. And uh, I think, I think PwC was the first or maybe slightly better offer from some of the others. And I was like, yeah. signed up on it. <laughs> it wasn't, it, there wasn't a lot of thought between PwC and <laughs> KPMG or Deloitte, you started your career at Deloitte. So, um, I, think, I think they just moved the fastest. So exactly, I was like, exactly. great, uh, I'm on board. And I, I remember distinctly the first day, you know, they, they, they hire a bunch of grads, right? And the first day you sort of have this group get together where they tell you about the exams and the, and the structure. And I, I, I distinctly remember this because I said it to a friend of mine who reminds me every day that you said this on the first day that I will quit the day I qualify. And I, I, I stayed, I stayed true to that. So I qualified and I quit because I knew that I was never going to be a very good accountant. Uh, so that part of you know, that part, at least I had foreseen in my career, but the rest then it was fascinating. I moved from the UK to Singapore to work for a multi-billionaire Richard Chandler. That was uh, the Claremont corporation. That was a very, good learning experience of both operating and investing mm. uh, then launched my own startup uh, while launching that learned the hard way that being a founder is really is it, tough uh, it uh, requires uh, sort of more of a focus than I'm able to give on one particular topic and uh, realize then that I'm better off being a coach rather than a player and hence here I am as a venture capitalist that is such <laughs> a good that is such a good nuance there Better coach than a player. That's really good nuance. That's really good nuance. So how, how was, how was, let's say we go, if we go back to the beginnings, the beginnings of uh, my health mate, what's been, what's been a journey? How, how was that? Yeah. I mean, so, so basically right. Going back to, to my journey, because I had built a small business as a services business in university, I always thought I was, I had one big entrepreneurial innings in me. I, I thought I could, there was one that, you know, everybody, there's always, they say there's one novel in you, right? So I thought there's one billion dollar business in me. Um, and uh, while while at the Claremont Corporation, I had the opportunity to lead investments in healthcare, in uh, education and financial services. And, uh, you know, the the timing in India felt good. It said, felt that the adoption of mobile phones was was going up. The felt that uh, adoption of internet is going up. And I felt that we could build a, healthcare solution on the on on the mobile right a primary healthcare solution on on yeah. the mobile yeah we were basically too early uh, i mean uh, you know it's one of those things in venture you always ask why now and uh, and it was it was 3 4 years too early so if we just you know 3 4 years later there's now a bunch of uh, well funded companies doing well uh, to halo doc etc right but 2012 was the wrong time to launch something like this uh, people weren't uh, weren't comfortable with mobiles data was still not as yeah yeah as, yeah uh, as prevalent and smartphones were still not as prevalent you know one forgets that 10 years ago it was a very different world from a smartphone perspective and what phones can and can't do um so yes yeah, so we we launched uh, my helpmate in 2012 late 2012 um around basically a an app that allowed you to track your fitness uh, consult a doc get some rewards for fitness etc uh, we had great traction on the uh, on the user side. A lot of younger users, especially downloading the app and and sort of getting involved. But the monetization element was very weak, and it just mm. wasn't uh, wasn't sort of catching on. 
so I did what any entrepreneur does in this case and find a buyer and uh, <laughs> and, and, and move on. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, we, we got lucky with that. There was a buyer, etc., who was interested in um, in accessing that community. Ambicare especially has a bunch of hospitals in Hyderabad where we had a decent community. So they, they took over the assets and. Uh, I I moved to I moved back to Singapore to basically start figuring out my next step. Uh, worked for MetLife for a bit, ran you know their innovation, open innovation plan, while working towards setting up Leo Capital. And and if you look at the because let's say there's the Shwetong the entrepreneur, the Shwetong the investor, or let's say coach, right? If you look at the entrepreneurial journey, like what would you say is, is the highlight? I mean, uh, I can't imagine if you're 21 and you can sell the business and you 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 know you net like 400,000 pounds uh, each, uh, and 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 building my health made. Like, what's what's kind of like your highlight? If you would choose a highlight, is it more the the graduate days entrepreneurship or is it the you know building a startup but actually not trying, not really succeeding in monetizing and scaling? I mean, the graduate days startup was the most fun I've had building a business. So it mm. was a um, it was a real fun business. We were doing security services for bars, basically bouncer provision in, in oh, the wow. UK. Oh wow! Uh, so you can imagine I could walk into any bar, free drinks, this, that, <laughs> and the other. It was, it, it, that was uh, you know I, I think it, I damaged my liver forever by by just <laughs> overdoing it. But <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. And we, you know there was no. When you were doing that, there was no intention of building a very large, scalable business, right? So everything yeah. felt like a win. Yeah. While with with my healthmate, you'd gone in with all these frameworks and how you're going to build a scalable yeah. asset like blah 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 yeah. business. Uh, so it, it certainly felt more like a loss, uh, yeah. right? Because of the framing. Because uh, the first one, you're not you're framed like if it pays me enough to to you know augment my pocket money that's fantastic and that paid you a lot more so that's like a you know <laughs> it's a massive win while <laughs> my my health weight whichever way you look at it is more more of a massive loss because you'd gone in saying at least i should build 500 million dollars of ev right and you then you sell it for a lot less so yeah but 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 i think that's a very interesting discussion right uh the way you build something i think especially nowadays there's so much pressure quote-unquote pressure on entrepreneurs and maybe from themselves but for sure also from investors to build the next unicorn right where i think it's a very good parable where the business that you build during your uni days was much more free it's like you just build the business because it makes money and there is there's actual cash being generated there's actual value being generated versus the you know pressure from maybe top and even from the bottom to build the next unicorn like how do you how do you apply like this experience in your role now as a coach slash uh, investor? Yeah, it's a great question, Andrew. And I think what, what's ended up happening is too many people are, are attempting to raise venture money, venture capital. See, venture capital is a very specific asset class. Mm. It is an asset class for companies that need to become, you know, that are uh, revenue deferred, have to grow big, mm. and, and it's not suitable for every company by mm. definition. Mm. Uh, but I think it has become a bit of a barometer of success, right? How much money you raised and uh, sort of people are, uh, they find it sort of seductive, I guess, to yeah. to be able to be taking part in these large rounds. So I do think there's a little bit of over-indexing on venture and and too many, too many sort of, too many founders and just reflexively approaching venture capital funds because that's what they, what they think. That's what they're so supposed venture, to do. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's not right for everyone. It is venture is a scale game. So, 
going into venture, even if you, as a founder or as an investor, you need to understand how that asset class works. Mm. And that this is an asset class of home runs, right? So you, uh, because you take risk and, and at a portfolio level, you have multiple companies that will not succeed. You need the ones that succeed to do enormously well and be yeah. truly global companies or category leaders, etc. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have tried to make the math work with, you know, like less, less, less failure rate, less success, only 2x returns and all of that. It just doesn't happen because innovation, especially when you're building something new from ground up, just implies a certain failure rate. If it did, if it's not failing that much, you're not innovating that much, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's almost mathematical in that sense that uh, creating something new. If you can predictively create something new without failure, well, then that is that's incredible, right? <laughs> then then why why bother with anything else? So uh, I, I I think the the way the structure of venture capital works is that it is a boom and bust cycle. Yeah. It's a boom and bust sort of industry. The wins have to count for a lot. So there, if you take venture money, you have to be prepared for pressure for large scale. Mm. And you you want to be internally also building towards that. Yeah. But there is a whole host of things you can do without venture money. I always tell my entrepreneurs who pitch to me who I think are wrong for venture money that you should think about customer money. And customer money is revenue, right? And there's an enormous amount of businesses, very successful, very decent-sized businesses that you can build that are built from customer money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, they build slower and all of that, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Just don't force yourself to take ventures because everybody else is taking ventures. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing, I think especially as a VC and, and for sure as, as a GP of the fund, I mean, you want to, quote unquote, systemize or at least minimize uh, uh, the, you know, if we talk about home runs, you, you want to minimize the, you know, the, how do you call that? The fouls or, you know, you you want to you want to make sure that every every ball as a strike is a home run so how what blueprint or what framework do you apply let's say for leo capital and for your portfolio companies to maximize the success rate of your investments right so i think that's the key thing we don't look at success rate of the investment the question is how big can the big ones become mm, and mm. when you when you solve for that you do by necessarily me you solve for I mean, that necessarily means some things will fail. Yeah. And I think I think assessing a venture capital fund on fail rates is actually is the wrong way of looking at it. Mm. Because in venture, it doesn't matter how many times you failed. What matters is how many times you succeeded. Yeah. Because the successes pay many times over for the failure. So yeah. the failure, all you can lose is the money you've put in, right? So say yeah. you put in a million dollars, that's a maximum loss, right? Yeah. Uh, a success can make that million into you know, 10, 100 yeah. billion, 10 yeah. billion, right? If you yeah. get an Uber or something like that or, or yeah. Facebook. Yeah. So, so what we solve for is truly understanding why this company can become large, why this, where to play, right? What are you trying to build? And why do we think this opportunity can potentially become a very large outcome? Yeah. So that's the core thing for us to solve for. Is it truly a large time? Is there, is, do you as the founding team have, the desire, ambition, ability to deal with ambiguity, initiative, resilience, to be able to actually build a meaningfully large business. Yeah. And uh, if you get those two things right, then, uh, then we are comfortable that the winners will, will pay for themselves and, and everything else. And if you get that right, we, do, we almost imagine that there should be some losses along the way, just because yeah. when you're solving with that level of ambition and that level of growth, some, sometimes something will not work out. And, and 
to me that's perfectly fine i actually don't i mean i use a cricketing analogy right you're trying to you're trying to hit the ball out of the park and that does mean you'll get bowled every now and then that's, yeah. that's perfect fine. yeah that's part that's part of the game right that's part of the game yeah so yeah. if we if we go back to the to the beginnings of of leo um how was it so you started in 2018 uh when you started to raise your first fund let's talk lps right i mean at the end of the day uh, the vc game is about is about quote unquote black book or at least people you know that have deep pockets and uh that are interested like you said in this asset class they're interested in this uh, risk reward uh uh game how did you go about finding your first lps for the for fund number one? yeah uh, great question and uh, you know the the reality is that fund one is always the hardest because it is as you said a a black book so whoever is giving you the money has to trust you to deploy the money they get no say in what you invest in after they give you the money um you know for, for us we've been lucky we were we have been two there were we were two of us rajul and myself raising uh, the fund we've had some success as entrepreneurs we had some success as angel investors uh and, and especially the angel investing side of the thing had made a lot of interesting inter- introductions to a lot of wealthy people so the first set of people are your friends who are wealthy right who can write and again this is not is not for for everyone it's always the case but you you go and you shake that tree and trying to get to like 2 3 million we were lucky we, we managed to do that and then basis of you know our experience as entrepreneurs etc we managed to bring on a few institutions and ultimately right. institutionalizing your fund is is the key to to sort of being able to raise uh substantial uh, substantial lp dollars because institutions are and are set up to to you know allocate substantial amounts of capital to this asset class etc cetera, etc cetera. um we we've been very lucky we we managed to uh raise money from a fund of funds called sendana capital uh, they are a specialist emerging fund manager fund of funds based in the bay area okay so they they are they they have built the specialism of finding new people into venture and helping them become institutional and become uh you know good good investors and good yeah. fund managers rather than just good angel investors etc yeah so we were lucky to have them in our corner um after a lot of pitching and a lot of uh, quoting from our side uh, and that that really helped so that helped us become institutional from day one effectively in fund one and that meant in fund two we have now sovereign wealth funds and a lot of large institutions that are uh, that are part of our lp base and how big was fund number one and and how big is fund number two Yeah so uh, you know fund 1 was sort of in the 30 million range fund 2 is in the 80 million range okay and then fund 3 is of course going to be a multiplier of uh, fund number 2 you can see the growth <laughs> <laughs> but but has yeah, it become yeah, I, i practice what i preach right if i ask you to grow got to grow myself <laughs> <laughs> you got to scale that fund man you got to scale that fund <laughs> no but you, even from the let's say the the 220 uh, the 220 rule I mean for a fund uh, to kind of like work it needs to be significant as well right I mean starting a fund with only like I don't know 10 25 million dollars is quote unquote is quite small right uh, I mean again uh, you know I think if you are an emerging fund manager it's hard to start with very big numbers because True. Yeah. institutions will just not give you money and you can't yeah. get to large numbers until yeah. you have institutional backing yeah so most, most institutions I mean I remember making a pitch to a very large institution and they said we like everything you said but come back when there's a v in your fund name and i was like what does that mean and then i realized that it's they're talking about the numeral 
Roman numeral. So he wants to only invest in fund four onwards. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Oh, it was wow. quite a riddle. It took a while. I was like, does it mean your name? What, what do you mean? Uh, so it, they don't even look at funds one to three. They only look at fund four onwards when there is institutionalized track record of exits or yeah. bunch of things, right? As you get over. I mean, to yeah. get to fund four means you've been in business for about six years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and there is there is more stuff proven out. So that does mean, unless you have some very rich benefactors, that you have to start small. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything. I mean, a lot of good funds have started really small. I mean, yeah. you know, look at Jungle, you look at uh, any of the other ones that have succeeded. The first ones were tiny. Uh, so I think this is a long game. You have to realize that if you're starting a venture fund, one fund isn't isn't everything it is a yeah. actually starting point yeah, yeah exactly pure starting point uh, right it, yeah and it's a, it's a 20 year journey for it to be meaningful for you so yeah. you just have to start where you can start and i think fund 1 is more about raising at least some amount like i think anything about 10 million is a decent number and deploying that and then getting to fund 2 that's the metric of success not yep. the size of fund 1 yeah yeah i like that so let's go let's go practicalities right so let's say you raise, uh, let's say your first fund was $30 million. The life cycle of fund number one or any fund in general is going to be what, six to seven years or even 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 longer? I think early stage ventures more like eight plus two. So eight, eight years. Eight, oh, yeah. Eight to 10 years. Uh, but, yeah. but, but from fund number one, uh, from the investments that you did in fund number one, did you already exit a couple or are everything still locked in? Like, or did you follow on? Like what's kind of like been the performance? Yeah, uh, good question. So, uh, you know, this is this goes to portfolio construction, and as a as a it's a, it's a term that if you've not been a fund manager, you never hear, right? What the hell is portfolio construction? Um, and as a as as a manager, we took this call of thinking about this quite hard, and making sure that when we were in making investments in fund one, there were a few later stage investments that we knew we'd, we that would exit faster than the earlier stage investments. Yeah. So, so just so that you're able to show that you're able to exit and, yeah. and that's a big thing, right? As a fund manager, you're sort of assessed against two, three metrics, right? DPI, distributions to paid in, TVPI and IRR, right? Broadly speaking. Uh, to explain to your, to your viewers who don't know what all, this, what all these crazy acronyms are, DPI is distribution to paid in, which basically means if I've taken 10 million from you, how much have I paid you back? So yeah. it is either... You know, typically it is measure, measured in, you know, first it's like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, like it's some percentage. So some percentage means you haven't paid back all of it yet. And then when you when you start talking about multiples, then that means you paid back more than you took in. And then that, that's that's the happy stage. That's the happy stage. <laughs> so so DP, that's DPI. And the other one is TVPI, which is total value to paid in, which is basically the mark to market of your investments, which still have not exited to the amount yeah. that you've, yeah. So for a, typically a fund, like let's say you you've got a $10 million fund, you've invested it in 10 companies, you've sold one company for 1 million. So mm -hmm. your DPI will be 10% because you've, you've taken, paid in this 10 million, you've returned 1 million. So 10% has been returned mm -hmm. and the remaining companies are worth say 20 million, right? So then your TVPI is actually slightly more than 2x because your value that's left is 9 and your, your multiple is 20. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So okay, okay, on okay. all of these metrics, we're in the top, uh, you know, there, there's a there's a fund, there's a organization called Cambridge Associates, which uh, publishes benchmarks, sort of global benchmarks. So we're in the top sort of 5% for all of our, all of these major met benchmarks for the 2018 vintage. Oh, wow, man. That's amazing. 
Well, touch wood. Let's see. <laughs> At the end of the day, the the metric that matters is is what's called MOIC, which is multiple of of invested capital. Okay. And that is when the fund ends. How much money did you return, cash on cash? Yeah. To, you know. Yeah. And so that's what the multiple that really that's the metric that really matters. And it's still a few years out for us to get to the final metric on that. Yeah, so that final metric can only be uh, calculated the moment at at the end of the of the fund cycle, right? When when what when it's fully exited or? Yeah, when 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 it's fully exited and you wound up the fund. So yeah, if most most funds have a legal life of 10 years. At that point, you have to wind it up, and that's yeah. that's when you have your. I mean, you can calculate it anytime you'd feel like, but that's that's the final number. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. But it means also like when you. Okay, so you launch your first fund, you're deploying from fund from the vintage, you're deploying from fund number one. But while yeah. you are deploying from fund number one, you are eventually starting to parallel raise for your second fund. That's right. Yep, absolutely. They're all stacked together. They're so, all stacked together, right? Yeah, typically what you do is you, you start raising the next fund as you come into the end of deployment of, fund, of the first fund. Yeah. So yeah. you don't you don't want to have deployment going on from two funds simultaneously because that that creates a conflict. Yeah. So you will you will basically say to LPs that we will you know our deployment or we'll write you know we'll again portfolio construction right we're going to invest 20 companies from this fund. Yeah. We've invested in 16. We'll start raising this new fund. Yeah. And the moment we write the 20th investment from this fund, we'll stop yeah. writing new checks on this fund. Yeah. And we'll start writing from this fund. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a dance. It's a dance. It's a dance. And there's a lot of negotiation. A lot of you know what's the right timing and a lot of these kind of questions that lps ask uh, but uh, it's all it's a lot of fun yeah it's it's uh it's amazing man it's really amazing and and when it comes down to to investing right so so we we let's go down a bit in the details um fund number one was 30 million dollars what is usually the ticket size you know let's say back then what was usually the ticket size that you uh, that you uh, you entered in so we've been, I mean, we, we look for companies that are what we call sort of late seed and early A. So late companies seed, that have, you know, there's typically there is some, you know, some level of MVP built, some yeah. uh, some customer customer feedback that's available. It's not completely a, a, you know, just a PowerPoint or a concept. We occasionally do concept investments as well, but mostly there there's something there. Um, and our typical, I mean, our investment, uh, size is sort of one and a half million to two million US dollars, uh, in in you know in, the, in that round, sort of being two to three million dollar round. Yeah, and, and do you think like especially since you are your sweet spot is let's say a bit like early, early seed uh, pre pre A round. I think especially in that in that maturity stage of of startups, there's a lot of a lot of hype. Uh, and I talk about this very often. Uh, there's a lot of hype, you know, where where let's say you know three, four, five years ago. If you would have an early stage fund and you write the tickets of uh, let's say five hundred thousand to a million, you could really it's like some solid gunpowder, right? In that in that stage of investing, but nowadays with these massive valuations picking up and everyone is jumping jumping in that stage, do you feel that that gunpowder is sometimes a bit like oh man, this this, this like a few years back, like like this one million dollar ticket was like it was something, man. Like put me on the cap, <laughs> put me on the cap table with a good uh, good percentage at the back of my name, but now it's is it getting harder? Is it getting harder to, to invest in that stage because of the hyped up valuations and, and just, uh, just the eyeballs that South Asia is getting? Yeah, I mean, look, it is the best time to be an entrepreneur at the moment in the region. Uh, there's the amount of capital that's available for good teams. There's never been higher. It may be higher in the future, but I can certainly say it has never been higher yeah. in the past. Yeah. Um, 
so certainly uh, the uh, you know the 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 ticket size you need to to have to play an important role has gone up right you're right when we started a million dollars was a great seed sort of yeah yeah tested today today that is two so right 100% growth in four yeah. years uh, for the same kind of ownership same kind of uh, cachet right that yeah uh, but you know it's um, i mean I, I i mean overall valuations have gone up etc cetera, etc cetera, but i think the quality of teams and the and the sort of the readiness of the opportunity has also improved yeah so if you think about it four years ago things like internet penetration your smartphone penetration was still actually substantially different from there today yeah so the speed of growth that you have for some of these companies that break out today uh, basically a million dollar G- look at e-commerce right a million dollar e gmv four years ago was meaningful mm. today a million dollar gmv is achieved very quickly if yeah. you've got a little bit of product market fit yeah. Yeah. so th- it, it's hard it's it's unfair to compare in the yeah. sense the uh, what hap- what is today is fundamentally different from what it was four years ago yeah and so there's no point in pining that in four years ago i could buy 20% of the company for a million dollars and now i get 8% it is what it is right the the company grows much faster yeah. you would have got 10 20% but it would have taken them 3 years to grow to a million dollars in gmv yeah. today it takes 6 months yeah that is so true that is so true coming back to the fund uh, shwetang so uh, let's say 500000 let's say a million dollars a million dollar ticket size uh, saas focused what are kind of like your sweet spots within that within that niche and i was like india southeast asia focused but what are kind of like the sweet spots when we talk about let's say Uh, specific verticals that you are bullish about or that you're investing heavily in right now yeah it's a great question so we we look at us as cross sector investors and we are, we like to be we like to think that we get educated by the best entrepreneurs as to why their sector is exciting yeah uh, so that's that's how we try and approach uh, sort of all our calls and all our um, all our uh, interactions with founders um and you know because of that we've learned some great things around logistics around gaming uh so those are those are some of the bottom up sectors that have come up and we've learned more about them and get got excited about them top down obviously your own experiences play a big role and i've i've been in the fintech and short tech health tech spaces so i have a you know bias of viewpoint i i yeah. have a sense of what i want to see built in these sectors so you know we i i certainly look at these sectors maybe a little bit faster Yeah, uh, and come to a decision faster if it's in these yeah. sectors. But as a fund, we try and have a beginner's mindset and look at all sectors and and truly try and understand whether the conditions exist for a large business to be built. What do we need to believe? Mm. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, if it's a brand new sector like Web three or something, there's a fair amount of learning that goes into it, uh, and you have to spend a fair amount of time teaching yourself as to what's happening. But that's that's the that's the joy of this job. Yeah, uh, that's what I what I enjoy that you you get uh, people who are super passionate, super sharp, uh, spending good time teaching you why they're doing what they're doing, why yeah. they're building their life's work, and it's a real privilege to be able to then you know back them and and learn and you know join their journey and learn from them. Yeah, no, that's so that's so amazing, man. And at the at the end of the day, right? I mean, uh, just looking from macro, we look at the portfolio, we look at ticket sizes, but at the end of the day, like any investment that you write. Uh, there should be like pretty there should be like significant like impact that this money and that the vc ha- has on the portfolio right meaning you know everyone is always talking and every website every vc website will say that oh we're smart money we're more than a check body body blah, blah, blah 
But how do you how do you look at how do you look at that? Especially as a as an ex operator, like how do you look at you know the ad, the value add that you, that Leo Capital uh, is bringing to the table for for the portfolio companies? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, and and this is something that we spent a lot of time internally asking ourselves. So when we started, we said we want to raise, we want to set up a fund. That so my partner has also been a very successful operator. He built a company called uh, Pine Labs, which is a seven billion dollar company today. Uh, so uh, you know he's, he's done well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, this was a key question on our on our whiteboard internally as we were sort of brainstorming, and we said we will build a fund from which we would have taken money. That was okay, the yeah. that was the high level yeah. um, uh, sort of you know statement that yeah. uh, okay we will build a fund from which we would have taken money. So then we asked ourselves, what does that actually mean? Like, yeah. You know what what on earth would we have taken? Because quite frankly, right, you know at some point we would have taken money from anyone because <laughs> both, both, both both of us had companies that were at times really staring debt in the face. Right? So, <laughs> we're burning money. We're burning money. Anyone who has a dollar, give it to me. So then we rewrote it to say we did that we'll build a firm for which we would have taken money in good times. Yeah. So as in when we were feel you know we were flush with cash etc. Yeah. And what what that sort of I don't want to bore you or listeners with like we spent I think about like almost three four months boiling the ocean to try and get to what we really mean by this. Um, what we met and what we got to was, um, you know, uh, that that coaching element. So you want you want to be the person that the founder turns to whenever he he or she has a really tough question. Yeah. And, and that they can trust you to deliver the absolute unvarnished truth to them, but they can also trust you to have their back and be sort of, you know, always supportive, et cetera, in a public forum. Mm. So that's, that's one key thing that we, we don't want to be like lovey dovey all the time, but like we want to sort of bring you down or, 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 or try and sort of highlight flaws in a board meeting or something like that. So if we see something's going wrong. We will call you one-on-one and we'll say, Hey, you should think about this, or this is mm-hmm. really really making a you know mess of this. Yeah. But be supportive, be be positive, and be uh, be be supportive in in more public fora to to, to a large extent. Right? Obviously, it's completely you know you're, it's a complete shit show. Then you need to do something in, in public fora. Yeah. And I think that that has worked well. I think a lot of our founders uh, call us when they have problematic when they have sort of really tough decisions to make, and they know that they'll get. Absolute unvarnished advice. Honest feedback, and, and yeah. Honest feedback, and yet you know they know that they can count on us to having their back in slightly more you know, complicated kind of situations. So that was one. Second was obviously be fast in decisions. Mm. So you know don't take forever to say yes or no. Get especially if it's a no, be fast. So what we have is that if you know if by the third meeting you have to either say no, right. Otherwise, the burden on you to then say yes and make the deal happen. Yeah. So, and and we track internally how many no's happened after the third meeting because that's mm. the black mark on on your own ability to. Uh, that means you've sort of done something with where the founder could have done with a no faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not managed to come in. You know, you're not managed to come in through with a with any investment. Yeah. So, so put a bit of pressure on ourselves to be more founder, you know, more responsive, faster, uh, etc. So those are two things on, you know, sort of that we really thought long and hard about. That these are kind of behaviors we want to 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 show. Few other things is just you know, uh, create a structure from, but not get out of the way, right? So 
it again goes back to that coach versus player right you have to, or backseat driving whatever i think we 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 went hard on ourselves that we as ex operators especially to make sure that we don't try and start taking the ceo's role so yeah. just yeah. make sure you are getting yeah. out of the way you are not you're not telling them what to do you're just giving you you're sort of you know being there more as a sounding board etc and finally the one piece that we've struggled a bit more was we said let's try and build a top heavy organization so everybody who comes in is been an entrepreneur been an operator yeah yeah uh, and and you're you're talking to someone who's been in the trenches building businesses rather than just you know learning as the, and there's nothing wrong with learning on the go but there's enough funds doing that so how how, how could we be different We're that is the toughest because because you know it is uh, it's hard to keep bringing senior people in at some point you need to bring yeah. junior people in true, true, and true. train them on the job Yeah, uh, but those are some things that we've been we've been trying to do. Yeah, I love that man. Especially the last one. I think it's it's sometimes hard to find people who stared death in the face and uh, saw the PNL bleed like a like a monster and still need to pay <laughs> and still need to uh, need to need to uh, make it until payroll, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are those are seen, right? I mean, you have thirty people, thirty people waiting for your paycheck, and <laughs> and you and you know what the bank balance looks like today. <laughs> Hey, um, uh, that that that's that's really solid, man. And I think when when you when I listen to those points, it's very it's very on the human level, right? It's very it's very on the personal level. We're not even talking about okay, we need to hit certain ROI or we need certain certain IRR. It's very on the personal level, and especially the coaching part. I think that's a really beautiful way of of, of looking at it. And 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 what has been your experience, especially like pitching to LPs, right? I mean, uh. The region, I think, for India, it's going to be the same. For Southeast Asia, it's the same. There's so much money coming in, so much VCs popping up. What's so different, right? What's so different about your pitch versus the hundred thousand other VCs that are popping up? What's kind of like been your angle trying to diversify Leo Capital versus the rest of you know other people that are launching VCs? I mean, Andrew, it is just this is exactly what I just we pitched the same thing that I just said, right? I mean, operators turn entre- yeah. uh, operators yeah. and investors. Yeah, we understand how entrepreneurs work. Yeah, we would have we want to build a firm that we were taking money from. Yeah, These are things we do. yeah These yeah, are yeah. We do differently. Yeah, um, and I think for a lot of a lot of the sort of institutional VCs, especially they, uh, I think that when they do ref checks with our founder, uh, they come back saying, "Hey, you know, this is some very positive stuff we've heard from." Yeah. But you know, to your point, we can't rest on this. Uh, there is an enormous number of people setting up um, funds in the region. Yeah, and uh, we have to keep thinking about how we how we sort of competitively differentiate ourselves. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so how, what would you say, like for let's say first time first time fund managers or you know people that want to launch their own fund or or even solo capitalists? I mean, uh, what are kind of, what is kind of like your, what would be your advice in uh, if someone's listening and he's like, oh, I want to launch my own fund. Like what, what, what should I do? I should talk. Yeah, great question. So I think first I would say that, are you sure you want to be a solo capitalist? It's a mm-hmm. tough job. Mm-hmm. Um, and having at least one more person who's a GP with you is, is probably, I would recommend it. Mm-hmm. At least I, I have benefited enormously from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I'm not sure this is a job you want to do solo, but mm. if you do, good for you. Um, otherwise, after that, I mean, it's a it's a, if you strip it down, right? Venture is a very simple role, right? It's about finding great companies, mm. and it's about finding enough capital. Yeah, and you need to think about what is your wedge for finding and getting onto great companies, and and owning enough of those companies 
so that if they do well you do well right so yeah. a lot of people sort of or again it's about understanding how you, the way i think about it is you can build two types of funds right you can build an alpha fund or an index fund mm. an index fund like an index fund in the public markets just invests in a bunch of companies and startups are going to grow right the entire ecosystem economy, yeah economy the region is going to grow yeah. so if you index and you invest in every investable startup even if you write a 100k check you should get a return right that's the yeah. beta return right yeah, so yeah. That, that's one model in which case you have to understand whether you can manage that kind of deal flow and what you need to do i have never done that model so i have no idea what it takes to build that the other is that you are stock picker right you're going for alpha that yeah by definition means you could underperform the market mm. uh, right just by choosing the strategy but if that's the strategy you're choosing then you need to understand what more than anything else what will you tell the entrepreneurs so that they take your money and give you enough of the company that your winners really matter yeah. so as a stock picking fund you need to own you know 15 to 20% of of your company at entry and that's not easy to do mm. Mm. Uh, so being able to answer that from your own perspective and be able to convince entrepreneurs of that answer is really important and once you get that then refining that and taking that to lps is actually the lesser lesser challenge there is yeah. now a whole host of lps you know a lot of global interest in this region uh, and a lot of uh, you know a lot of sort of interesting platforms now for emerging fund managers to access lps which wasn't the case 4 years ago yeah. so these like allocate sutton capital bunch yeah. of these operator vc a uh, bunch of these what they're calling yc for fund managers right yeah yeah which which has made it easier to raise your first fund and if i was doing first fund today i would apply to all of them Yeah. because they do have structured lp outreach program which which is really helpful there's the vc yeah. lab by by founders institute etc yeah i saw that one uh, all done a good job so this is this is all new stuff right 2018 nobody was thinking about doing this yeah it's so funny right there's so many parallels at the end of the day uh, vc is it's nothing different than a startup right i mean uh, and, and and within that startup vc startup ecosystem there's also going to be like saas businesses or other type of services which is going to make enable a lot of people to start their own fund whether it's solo or whether it's you know on a different yeah. scale um uh that's uh, that's amazing man uh, two final questions uh, shwetank um uh, you know been a, you've been a fund manager for 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 you know uh four or four years now four plus years and you know we've done angel investments before uh, what would you say i mean and apart from the add value the value add that leo capital brings and and apart from the fact that you've been an operator turned investor what would you say that you know successful fund managers um should be doing or what 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 would be the say the three characteristics or the three doings of great fund managers it's a great question adri because uh, i don't think we are, we are great fund managers yet so i really don't but you're on you're you're on the right track you're on the right track if, if you can always do, if you can always double your fund, you're on the right track so i'm not sure uh, you know i'm qualified to answer that um but uh, you know i've been um, uh you know the it's you know i think boils down to just uh, uh being being intellectually curious at all times i think that's that's like super important um knowing that you don't have any or maybe you don't have any of the answers really i mean uh, you know you're uh, you are pattern matching and and but sometimes the patterns break and i think keeping that in mind is is important um and finally you know i think just just understanding that you work for the companies you invest in right yeah. and that that that's 
uh, it takes a while i think to sometimes for that to sink in but i think once that sinks in it's you, you, your mental frame of reference is, is the right one yeah yeah i like that because it kind of like flips the script a bit right it, it makes you also yeah. very humble instead of uh, you're the big guy running to check you're actually working for them and the only way that you do well is if they do well okay shwetank uh, last question of the interview um which I always love because it gives a different dimension, a different perspective of, uh, of the fund manager or the VC that I'm talking to. I, want to. I want you to imagine a day far, far away into the future, right? And on this day, uh, which most probably will be overflown by, by the metaverse and, and Web3 and all those type of things, there is a search engine. And the name of the search engine, let's just assume it's going to be Google. Uh, and uh, on that search engine, I, uh, I insert the name Shwetank. I insert your name. And um, I cannot find anything on LinkedIn. It's a blank page. I cannot find anything on Leo Capital. I cannot find anything about acquisition. Uh, there's actually nothing I can find about you except for three bullet points. And these three bullet points are the life lessons that Shwetang wants to leave the world with and wants to be remembered, oh wants to be remembered by. What would those three bullet points say? <laughs> right uh, life lessons uh, so i guess if nothing is turning up one of them is you have the right to be forgotten which uh, <laughs> is uh, is is always a good one um, and uh, uh, you know the uh, just the always remembering that you know uh, in the long, long history long arc of time it's really unlikely that whatever you're doing is going to be greatness that matters mm. and that's both the humbling and uh, you know at the same time perhaps maybe you need more ambition but okay you have the right to be forgotten that's one uh, <laughs> the other the other is uh, enjoy it while it lasts you know just uh, have fun I, i i'm a big believer in having fun yeah. and just having a few laughs along the way um and third i think is just uh, uh, you know Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to phrase it better, but uh, just keep reading. Mm. Uh, learn as much as you can. Mm. Uh, yeah, learn, learning is its own reward. Mm. That, that would be three corny lessons <laughs> at the top of my head. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And sometimes uh, the most beautiful or easy, simple things in life are the corny ones. Uh, so that, <laughs> that, is, that is so true. Hey, Shwetang, thank you so much, man. I really uh, enjoyed the conversation. Uh, learned a lot, especially, you know, the journey operator to investor and then you know uh, great things that you're doing with leo capital so i'm looking forward to what leo is going to invest in in the coming years ahead and how the fund will evolve and uh, thanks again for sharing and i hope to see you soon man. thanks andrew really enjoyed the conversation look forward bye. to seeing it touch. bye uh, bye thank you so much for listening to the masters of cashflow podcast if you found this episode valuable i'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review and i look forward to seeing you in the next episode